0: So, this is uh, one of my favorite sermons because doing water baptisms is one of my favorite things to do. I love doing water baptisms. Uh, Water baptism is an ordinance of the church, being one of the sacred or sacerdotal duties, along with the Lord's Supper, that we're personally commanded by the Lord to do as part of establishing His church. Now, in saying that, sounds so orthodox and official. I want to put a little clarification on that. Sacred duties do not belong to some higher order of pastors, priests, and all of this. If Jesus Christ is resident in your heart, you can minister communion in your home. If Jesus Christ is resident in your heart as Lord and Savior and someone comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in your home, fill up your bathtub and get them immersed. Get them water baptized. It's a sacred duty that the church has been given. If Christ is in you, it's your sacred duty. Okay? Do you understand that? belongs to the body of Christ. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptisms is also listed in the book of Hebrews as one of the foundational principles of the doctrine of Christ. And this is Hebrews 6, uh, 1 through 3 in the Message Bible. I just like the way he does this. He says, So come on! Let's leave the preschool finger-painting exercises on Christ and get on with the grand work of art. Grow up in Christ. The basic foundational truths are in place, turning your back on salvation by self-help and turning in trust toward God. Baptismal instructions, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, God helping us will stay true to all of that, but there's so much more. Let's get on with it. That's the way I feel. Let's get on with it. So what are the origins of baptism? Scripturally, first, we find baptism under Noah as a universal event. First Peter 3.18-22, it says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So the flood, the great flood, was a universal baptism. Under Moses, it became a national event, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 10. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. So in the Israelites passed through the Red Sea on dry land. For them, it was a baptism. In other words, when they came out the other side, the things of death that pursued them were cut off from accessing them. In the New Testament, it is an individual decision. In Matthew 3.13, we have Jesus came up from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. and coming to rest on him and behold a voice from heaven said this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased two important things to note here first of all is jesus called his baptism a fulfillment of righteousness and secondly heaven agreed the father spoke and the holy spirit descended so we find Jesus continuing the practice of water baptism in his own ministry. In John 4, it says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. And then, of course, the early church continued the practice. We have in Acts ten forty four, While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Just a little side note. Uh, John the Baptist speaks of two other baptisms that Jesus will perform. One is the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and the other is a baptism of fire. I'll just let you consider those. There are two com- important components to water baptism which I feel must be clearly understood to avoid error. The first is the method. There are actually three methods used in the church today. There's sprinkling, pouring, and immersion. What does the scripture say, and how important is the difference? In Acts twenty-seven, in Acts 2, 37 through 38, we see uh, Peter uh, has preached a good, uh, good news message, and the response is, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers... What shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now the word there, baptized, in the Greek, in Strong's Greek, is number 0907, is the word baptizo. Baptizo. It derives from uh, the word baptizo. Bapto, it means to dip repeatedly, to immerse, to submerge as a vessel that has sunk, to cleanse by dipping or submerging, to wash, to make clean with water, to wash oneself, to bathe, or to overwhelm. Baptizo, not to be confused with bapto, the clearest example that shows the meaning of baptizo is the text from the Greek poet and physician Nicander, who lived about 200 BC. It is a recipe for making pickles. So, anyone here getting baptized today? Oh boy, I'll have a whole jar of pickles by the end of this. Uh, nice, nice. And it's helpful because it uses both words, bapto and baptizo. Now, Candace says that in order to make a pickle, the vegetables should first be dipped. That's bapto. Dipped into boiling water. What would you call that today? Blanching, right? You'd blanch it. That's the word bapto. In and out. Quick blanch. And then be baptized or baptizo In the vinegar solution, that's a long-term process. Both verbs concern the immersing of vegetables in a solution. The first is temporary. The second, the act of baptizing the vegetables, produces a permanent change. Over here is a cucumber. Over here is a pickle. right? Dramatic change, isn't it? That's what baptizo does. Dramatically changes. Once I was lost, now I am found. Once I was blind, now I can see. Once I was under the burden of sin and death, now I am alive in Christ forevermore. Bapto to baptizo. When used in the New Testament, this word more often refers to our union and identification with Christ than to our water baptism. Mark 16:16, 16, 16, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Christ is saying that mere intellectual assent is not enough. There must be a union with him, a real change like a cucumber to a pickle. I just can't wait to see that beach littered with pickles. So I want to make a point here that I feel is very important in understanding how deep the symbolism of water baptism goes in demonstrating the life-transforming power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our lives. When the Bible was translated into the English language, the word baptizo translated to the English word immerse. Okay, remember I just told you that. Baptizo means immerse. This presented a major problem to the Church of England because they didn't baptize by immersion. They baptized by pouring. So, simple enough to resolve, just create a new word. So they created the word baptize. So baptizo, they translated into a new word, baptize, rather than immerse. And they gave it its own meaning. The meaning is a sacrament of initiation into the church using the element of water. That's pretty broad, right? So So when we see the word baptize, we automatically associate it with water baptism now let's see what that does to our theological thinking just in regard to that scripture in Acts 238 this is my old Bible this has all my column notes from Bible college so I've got some column notes to Acts 238 And it's seven steps in how to receive the Holy Spirit according to the Assemblies of God Bible College. So then Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here's my side notes Repent and turn from your sin, be water baptized walk in obedience, desire the Holy Spirit, ask for the Holy Spirit, and receive the Holy Spirit. Sounds good, right? Except Peter doesn't say repent from your sin. He just says repent. So what's he asking you to repent from? What does repent mean? I'm going to repent of you guys, all right? That's an act of repentance. Turn in another direction. Peter says repent. Turn your life in another direction. Change your mind. Change your heart. Change your attitude. Change your focus. Stop looking so much at yourself and immerse yourself because there is no word baptized, remember, it's immerse. There's no mention of water. Peter doesn't say repent from your sin and get water baptized. He says repent and be immersed in the name of Jesus Christ. Turn from yourself and immerse yourself in Jesus and you'll receive remission of sins and you'll receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Make more sense? So now we can say, turn away from yourself, be immersed, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you receive the Holy Spirit. So we can see that a full understanding of water baptism must be based solely on the idea of baptizo, full immersion, both in water and into Jesus. Let's look quickly at two examples in the scripture of actual water baptisms, okay? We have Mark 1, 9 through 10. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was immersed by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, in other words, he was down under the water. When he came up out of the water, John fully immersed Jesus in the Jordan River. In Acts 8.38, And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he immersed him. And when they came up out of the water again, he was down under the water and came up out of the water. Philip fully immersed the eunuch in the water. So that's point one, full immersion, both in water and in Jesus. The second important component is the formula or the words pronounced as you are immersed. Now, there's there's a little bit of a dilemma here for those of you who are getting pickled today. Because as you're down under there, the only thing you're hearing is the gurgling in your own lungs. You don't know what I'm saying. You don't know what the people baptizing you are saying. But you're at a very vulnerable moment. Essentially, you're putting yourself into a position of going into the grave and dying to self and emerging in newness of life in Christ. At that moment of transition, you are fully open to receive spiritual impartation. So what is spoken over you is significantly important. And the scriptures, I believe, are very precise on this issue we find that the first issue that the Apostle Paul had to deal with in the Corinthian church was this issue. In 1 Corinthians 1.10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized, immersed in the name of Paul? I thank God that I immersed none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were immersed in my name. I did immerse also the households of Stephanas beyond that, I do not know whether I immersed anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, let the, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So what is the formula? What are the words that should be spoken? Most of us would quote uh, Matthew 28:19: Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I can remember when I got saved down in Florida and I got baptized in a little uh, uh, church down there. uh, That's what they spoke. When they put me down under the water, they said, I baptize you now in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But if you look closely at this scripture in context, it's not a formula, it's a command, it's a commission. As a matter of fact, these scriptures are called the Great Commission. Once again, there's no mention of water. It says, immerse them in the name of. Immerse them in the name of. So let me give you an example of uh, another thing this could happen with. Uh, Here's a scripture. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name, shall they cast out devils, right? So you confront a demonically oppressed individual and you say, well, Jesus said in my name you'll cast out demons, so in my name I command you to come out. How do you think you're going to make out with that? (laughs) Right? Doesn't work, does it? So you have to fulfill the command. You can't just repeat it. It's the same thing with immersion. It's the same thing with baptism. You can't just repeat the command you have to fulfill the command Now notice that in the commission it is the name singular and not names plural So what is the name of the father in John 14:26 Jesus uh, John 5:43 Jesus says this I have come in my father's name I have come in my Father's name. Jesus revealed the name of the Father in the revelation of himself. In John fourteen twenty six, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he says, But the help of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So let's take a look at the Great Commission as recorded in Mark 16. He said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized, immersed, will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Has verse 16 ever tripped you up? used to trip me up all the time, because I understand salvation is not based on the act of, of water baptism. That's not what gets you saved. If you think you're going to get water baptized, and that's going to add some dynamic to the process of salvation, you're wrong. When you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were saved. You believed in your heart, confessed with your mouth, you were saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's got nothing to do with water baptism. So what's he talking about? It's immersion into the name. Let me read that verse again with a little bit of change in emphasis. Go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned, and these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. You see, in in the original Greek and the Hebrew, there's no commerce None of that is just continuous dialogue. The interpreters put the emphasis where they thought it belonged, so they put it, uh, those who believe in my name, they will cast out demons. What if you take out that semicolon? What if it really says, those who believe in my name? Those who are immersed in my name? Those who have repented of self and immersed themselves in me, they're going to do the work of the kingdom. You see, it's not an act of water baptism that's going to give you any power. Water baptism is going to put you to death. It's going to give you an opportunity to be immersed in Christ so that the kingdom power can flow through you by the life of Christ that you're living then. got nothing to do with your salvation. Acts 2.21 It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's that simple. Acts 4.11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's all about being immersed in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It's about your identity. So how do we apply this to water baptism? We'll look at the early church and see what they did. In Acts ten forty four, again we read the scripture earlier, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, here is, here is a scriptural point, in fact, that is talking exclusively about water baptism. Can anyone withhold water that these people can be immersed? So he's talking about water baptism. So the formula that he's saying is when they go down, they are going to be immersed in the name of Jesus Christ. I immerse you now in the name of Jesus Christ. So Peter translates the Great Commission, the keeping of the commission, by saying, I baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ. Is this clear to you? Okay? Is anyone that's getting baptized today not understanding this? Okay. Very important that you understand. I want you to feel secure that what we're doing, we're doing scripturally as sound as we possibly understand the scriptures to direct us to do. We're giving you the best we know how to give you when we do this sacred duty. It's important to us that we minister correctly to you. Okay? So what is water baptism symbolic of? Romans 6, 3-5, through 5, Paul says, Do you not know that all of us who have been immersed into Christ Jesus. What are they immersed into? Into Jesus, right? Were immersed into his death. We were buried therefore with him by immersion into his death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. We too might walk in newness of life. For we have been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. not that good news? Galatians 3.26, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith, for as many of you as were immersed into Christ have put on Christ. So what are the requirements? According to Mark 16.16, believe. Believe. Acts 2.38 says, Repent. Acts 2.41 says, receive his word. Believe, repent, receive his word. Lord, I believe you are my savior. I believe you're Lord of all creation. I believe that you died for my sin. I need you as my Lord. I repent of myself and I turn to you because your word says it so. If you can say amen to that, you're ready to go into the grave and be raised up in newness of life. Finally, expect a miracle. Awesome things happen in water baptisms. In Matthew 3.16, Jesus was baptized, immediately went up from the water. Behold, the heavens were opened. I pray that God would open the heavens over your lives, that grace would pour out in such abundance that you would know that God's favor is on your life. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son. Wouldn't it be awesome? The heavens, I mean, you come up out of the water, you throw up your hands, you give praises to God. And all of a sudden, his grace starts abounding on you. And you just feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. And God is speaking to your heart. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you so much. I only want the best for you. It will turn you. You will be Pickled. Acts eight thirty six and as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being immersed? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he immersed him. And when they had come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord Carried Philip away. So it kind of looks like this Philip and the eunuch come up out of the pond night, and the eunuch shakes his head, you know, and turns to say thank you to Philip, and there's no one there. An instant later, Philip shows up in Azusa, 200 miles away, and starts a revival. Now that's miraculous. See, that's awesome. God does awesome things. Uh, I'll tell you a personal story. Um, when I was involved with a very Pentecostal church down in Massachusetts uh, back in the 70s, and we did a baptism service, and there was a woman in the church, the mother of another woman, and she is probably 70-ish, and she had gone out to her mailbox to get the mail, and as she turned to open the box, a car came along and whack, ran her over Smashed her hip, and you know she was in traction for about eight months, and she finally recovers, and she's kind of hobbling along with a cane, and she goes out to get her mail one day, right? And she turns to open the box, "Whack, she gets hit with a car again, right? I mean? <laughs> so she recovers, and she can't walk anymore. There's a, a three-inch separation between the hip and the, the leg bones. And they can't do anything. They can't reconstruct her. She's too old, too fragile. But she says, you know, I want to be water baptized. So we talk to her about miracles and expect God to show up. We put her in that tank in the name of Jesus. And she comes up out of the water, and she throws her hands up and starts to praise the Lord in other tongues. And she jumps up out of the tank and begins to run up and down the aisle. She goes to the doctor for an x-ray. There's still a three-inch separation between the hip and the bone, but it doesn't make any difference because the power of God had changed her. She was pickled. And the thing she couldn't do as a cucumber, she could do as a pickle. So expect a miracle. Amen. Let's stand and pray together. Father, today we pray that it would be a day of belief, a day of repentance, a day where your word becomes our lifeblood, a day of miracles. We invite you, come, Holy Spirit. Touch each one who is to be immersed into Christ today, Whether it's in water or in spirit, in fire, whatever the element you choose, O God, immerse us fully. We expect awesome things because you're an awesome God who loves us. So bless this day, our fellowshipping, our feeding, our horseshoe games, our swimming, our baptisms, our singing of songs, our public display of our love for you, O God. We ask you to anoint each part of it and let your grace abound. I pray for the lifeguards on duty, that they would be touched by your spirit. I pray for the families that have come for just a day at the beach and will find you sitting on the shore. We bless you with our lives today, O God. Bless us with yours. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.